You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. Matt Levine and Lila Bromberg here today. And today's been a hectic day so far. A lot of breaking news out of the Maryland men's basketball and Maryland football programs. Um, specifically the opponents that they were supposed to have over the last week or the week coming, and we'll get into that. We'll get into their uh, their seasons so far, as well as Maryland women's basketball, um, their successes early on in the year. Um, but Lila, just a crazy day so far. Yeah, I was just telling you, I was like, is this year just going to be writing breaking news articles about COVID? I feel like being a journalist these days, like, like half of your job is just writing about cancellations. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, we had, I think, right before I got into my first class, maybe like 9.45, around 10, somewhere there, um, we found out that Maryland men's basketball's game against George Mason for Friday, December 4th was canceled. Um, they had already had two cancellations uh, earlier in the week. Uh, originally, they were supposed to play Monmouth on December 1st. And then that was canceled due to COVID outbreak in that program. And then it was rescheduled with Towson, same thing there. Um, then they decided to move the game to uh, Saturday where they'll be traveling to JMU, making it the same exact time as football, which is gonna be interesting. And um, now, yeah, now George Mason is canceled for opponent having more cases. And you know, with football, I think you and I were talking about it all week that maybe this game with Michigan was a possibility to be canceled because they've been dealing with an outbreak themselves and it just came out officially that it has been. So um, that's four cancellations in the past week across those two sports, which is kind of crazy. Like just what's your reaction to that? You know, like we knew some of this going into the season, but actually like having it happen. Well, I think it's crazy also how Maryland had two games canceled for their own COVID issues in football. Uh, against Ohio State and Michigan State. Um, those were two home games, so they lost both of those. They play at Indiana, and then their third game in four weeks gets canceled at Michigan. Uh, and there was a lot of speculation over, I think, since Monday, honestly, um, that they they had uh, assumed some positive cases, and they confirmed some of those to be negative, but then the next day there was more positive cases so I think the whole thing is just, it's crazy. Um, and the Big Ten's protocols and everything with daily testing and having to get those confirmed positive with PCR tests, I think that's, uh, I, I, I like that idea still. Um, their idea for that was to stop the spread of everything, which I don't necessarily think it has done particularly well, but there's really no way to, to avoid that if you're going and having these practices as normal as possible with still getting tested every day. Uh, Once you find those cases, you pull those individuals out of practice and things like that, but it might be too late by then. And they're already, you know, they're already in contact with each other every day at practice within the program meetings and things like that. But it's just, it's, it's too hard to anybody that thought going into this season that this wouldn't happen was wrong. And they probably realize that now. Uh, But I, I know you and I both knew right before this season started that these are things that were likely going to happen. And Loxley says it all the time that they signed up for this basically um, week in, week out. You have no idea what's going to happen. And they knew what they were getting into. So um, it's, it's frustrating for us, but it, I'm sure it's even worse for some of these players that don't get to play now. Yeah. That's what I was talking about with some of the guys with is like, if I'm this upset, like just because it's my last year covering this team, I like can't imagine how upset you guys are, especially um, the older guys. Um, and I think for Maryland football, it's especially upsetting because they were really finding a momentum um, right when they the two games canceled. There's Ohio State and Michigan State. Um, you know, let's be honest, Ohio State, they probably weren't going to win that one um, unless they pulled off a giant upset. Um, and then they were going to play Michigan state, which you and I both talked about was a winnable game. And, you know, then they come back in the things they're still missing players and they play one of the top teams in the country. 
And I thought, we'll, we'll get into it later, but I thought they really competed well despite lack of execution, which kind of could be expected with the Russ. We'll get into that. But And now to have this game canceled, it's like another time where you're finally getting back into things. Um, I, I've heard they're still practicing. I have heard also um, from people within the program that there is a possibility within the Big Ten of maybe games that like teams that had opponents cancel games could play against each other. Right now, Minnesota and Northwestern is canceled due to cases within the Golden Gophers program. I don't think it's a good idea for Maryland to play Northwestern again. It's one like you don't really ever have in a Big Ten season um, a team playing against each other twice. And also that's a really, really tough opponent. Um, And Ohio State had cases, but they seem to be saying it's not an issue. I personally don't believe that. Um, this is a team that has a legitimate shot at the playoffs, and I don't necessarily think that they're going to be transparent, if I'm being completely honest. And that's speculation. That is not based on fact. That is just my opinion. Um, but if that game, if something were to happen, I think that would be a perfect matchup for Maryland to replay that Michigan State game. Yeah. But, but it's just so many unknowns, you know. You just don't know if this season – it could change in an instant, which we've learned. It literally every day is a breaking news story, as you pretty much said a few minutes ago. But we always have to be on alert. <laughs> yeah, literally, the post notifications on Twitter for um, you know national networks of reporters that have these sources and get these stories out right away. You know that helps us as well, and then just being in contact with everyone around the program. It's, it's crazy how much changes every single day. Uh, I think that's the craziest thing is that you just wake up and you have no idea what's going to happen that day. And Loxley said on yesterday in availability that they woke up yesterday, Michigan's on their schedule, they were going to prepare for Michigan. Right, because I asked about this because I knew the right. Michigan game was going to get canceled. And I said, like, is there a contingency plan in place? Right. And he was right. It is above his pay grade. Um, and that would be more of a decision by Damon Evans and, and the Big Ten Conference. Um, but, I mean, I'm hoping there's some sort of contingency plan in place because then they would lose three games. I mean, I think this team would have had a 5-3 and three record. If they had everyone against Indiana, they could have won that game based on what I saw last week. I really think they could have. If they had a full team and they hadn't missed two weeks of practice, I think they had the ability to win that game. Um, but now you're looking at what's likely to be a 3-2 and two record. I mean, it could have been a five and three record. It could have been a six and two, most likely five and three, but now you have three and two. Um, And that doesn't look great on paper, but I think in the grand scheme of things, after everything we've seen, this season is not going to mean anything in terms of records or history, especially for Maryland. This is a year of development. And I think for any program, this year doesn't mean anything unless you're like in the playoffs because there's so many interruptions. And even with the playoffs, like, yes, these are the teams that, most people expected to be in, but they're all dealing with different circumstances, right? Like the SEC policies are very lax. The ACCs are pretty lax as well. Um, Same with the Big 12. And so, you know, schools like, I mean, I don't ever think the Pac-12 was going to have a team in, but like schools like the Big 10, just everyone is dealing with different circumstances. So it's hard. I know the football playoff committee is going to have a really hard time this year because they're deciding like between opponent between teams that have had different games that have had different situations that have had different players in and out at times. It's just, I mean, it's a mess. You and I have texted about this. Like it's just, this whole situation is a mess and it's already unfolding this early in the season with college basketball. It's every day with these college basketball get alerts of it's like every, 30 day. every day, several programs shutting down. Um, and Maryland's already had to deal with that. We mentioned with a game scheduled against Monmouth canceled, a game scheduled against Towson canceled, a game scheduled against George Mason canceled. And as far as basketball goes, it's a lot easier to reschedule or not reschedule, but schedule new opponents when you have cancellations like that, as opposed to football. Um, I'm not sure the reason for that. I I'm just assuming it's because it's non-conference right now. If Maryland was, able to if Maryland football was able to play non-conference games I'm sure there would be a lot more room for uh less travel because Maryland's like playing opponents within the area right 
Yeah, and they're allowed to play these non-conference teams that are close by. Um, so I think that helps. Obviously, if Maryland was only Maryland basketball only scheduled to play Big Ten teams, and then there was a cancellation, that would leave a lot of scheduling um, questions, and you wouldn't really know if there were open games that you can find, especially with travel and all that. So I think that's an advantage for basketball, but um, just it, it's crazy that it's like the day before a game and you find out it's canceled. Uh, I don't know how that goes down at practice for these teams where they just find out, oh, we're not playing this game. You know, we just prepared for however long they, in between their next games, you know, they, they prep for these teams. They practice as if they're going to play these teams and they watch their film and they do all these different things that go into trying to win a basketball game and then it just doesn't happen. Uh, I don't know if that sets you back in a way or just mentally is, is draining, but I know if I was a player in college sports right now, my mental capacity would be drained every single day by this, the news that comes out and it affects every team. It really does. Yeah. And like, just to be a person scheduling the games um, within the Maryland basketball program, I believe, um, that's Mark, not Mark Turgeon, but uh, director of player ops um, of basketball operations. Sorry, to have the game scheduled earlier today and then have a new opponent within like three hours—is it a good opponent? No, not really. But just to reschedule—I mean, a game like that. I think George Mason was one of the only competitive opponents on the schedule, and they're not even that good. But I mean, St. Peter's is not. Um, JMU is not um and I think they're losing like good competition because you look at their first three opponents and they're all like under 150 on Ken Palm like they're not good opponents and George Mason at least is decent it's in a better conference um so now kind of the only really competitive opponent you have left is Clemson and I don't know if George Mason was competitive from the start, but more so than the opponents they have faced and are now rescheduled to face. Yeah, and without question. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is the season where they're trying to get those tournament resumes early in the year. Uh, even looking ahead, I know I hate to do this every day, you know, just trying to figure out how every day is going to unfold. But – if you look ahead to March and when they're selecting these teams for the tournament, how is that going to go? All these resumes of teams that are losing games. And then you have, you know, Michigan state beats Duke yesterday on the road. Like there's just so many different things of ranked teams, beating ranked teams, and then ranked teams losing games to other. There's just so many things. I really have no idea what's going to happen when they're selecting teams for the NCAA tournament. I think this I might remember last year, like we were saying how before all of this happened, we were talking about how crazy of a college basketball season it was because of the amount of upsets. And if we had known back then what like the season would look like a year from them, like, <laughs> I don't know. You just kind of, it's, it's hard because it's such a mess. And I think kind of people are forgetting about how dangerous those fires can be. Um, obviously we want to see sports played. It's our careers depend on it. It's, it's, these guys want to play, but I don't know. I think there needs to be a little bit more caution taken by some of these programs. Um, I think Maryland has done a good job of basketball so far. It seems, I mean, they haven't had a cancellation when like at least like 80 programs have, it seems, um, probably more, but yeah, it, it's just, it's going to be a crazy year. Um, and like you said, like both selecting for, like I said, selecting for the college football playoff, deciding for the NCAA tournament, like it's, it's going to be hard and it's going to be a mess. And this, it's similar in the NFL with a lot of these the Steelers players that were. Do not get into this Raven Steelers game, Matt. Do not make me go through this. I'm not, I'm not getting into the specific game. I'm just getting into the Steelers lost their original bye week. And a lot of, that was earlier in the year. I'm just saying, I know you're in pain as a Jets fan. No, it has nothing. I'm already in enough pain as a Ravens fan. I don't need more by talking about this game. I talk, I'm talking about Pittsburgh and how their players took it to social media that they were very frustrated with the league, that they lost these 
they they basically had to reschedule twice of games because of their opponents' positive cases. Now, the Steelers, for the most part at least, have been doing everything they, they can. They got their own cases too. I know, but when you're not the team that is forcing the cancellation, that's got to be so frustrating for these collegiate athletes is what I'm trying to say is that Maryland's basketball team has been, from what we know, doing a great job at avoiding coronavirus or avoiding – After having an outbreak over the summer, though. They had it over the summer, so I don't know how many of them are uh, not able to get it right now, but nobody really knows. But I think the thing is that when your team is the one that's not forcing the cancellation, it's even more frustrating sometimes that – you're doing everything right, distancing, sacrificing everything for this season, and you lose a game because of another team uh, not following those guidelines or just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, whatever it is. I think that might be uh, a very frustrating point for these athletes. Yeah, for sure. It's just, I mean, it's 2020. It's not really an ideal situation for anyone, but I guess instead of harping on this a bit more, because it's not a very fun topic to talk about, let's get into some games you want to start with football or basketball uh let's recap indiana football all right so like we said maryland goes into that game um they're down 23 players including um some of the best players on the team um you're down two starting offensive linemen um you're down two of your best wide receivers in uh rakim jarrett and jayshon jones you're down your best running back in Jake Funk. You're down your best two defensive backs in Nick Cross and Tarheep Still, um, and a bunch of other guys there as well. Um, so you enter down some of your premier talent. Um, you know, you're missing your center. You're missing one of your best offensive linemen as well. And so they enter this on two upward hills of not only are you down 23 players, but you're going against the number 12 team in the country. And I think while it was clear that the offense did not do its job and did not execute properly, I think it needs to be accounted that one, they had like a week, like maybe like five days, four or five days of practice. And Loxley was virtual for most of that. So he and Leah did not have their normal routine that they have. Um, the team did not have a normal routine really. Um, and you're also just kind of shaking off that rust, you know, like it takes time. They were for like, they had to stay in like a hotel room. They had to stay mostly inside. Like there wasn't a lot they could do and that needs to be taken into consideration. And, and despite that, you know, I thought the defense really put up a good fight. This was a close game until the fourth quarter or until like the third quarter. Um, you know, they were down seven to three the number 12 team in the country being down 23 players at halftime. And I think that says a lot regardless of the result of the game and how poorly the offense played. I think that actually says a lot because of how poorly the offense played. I mean, I agree with you. Indiana was also down uh, several players as well, but. Not their like best players though. They had their best guys and Maryland's defense was really the bright spot in my opinion there, Uh, especially without Nick Cross, future pro without Tarheeb Still, without Ace Ely, just so many guys that have made such an impact so far this year. Um, without them, they really – the defense really held Indiana's offense in check, which I was shocked by. Uh, based yeah, on- the run defense was a little shaky, but the pass defense was so good. Yeah. The best I mean, I've it, seen from him all season. Based on how Michael Penix Jr. had been playing, unfortunately it tore his ACL in that game. He missed the rest of the year. But – he had been playing like a, a Heisman candidate almost, or at least close. And they have some of the best receivers in the nation. And Wap Fillier, Ty Freifogel, um, Hendershot. Two of the best well. names in the country as well, I will add. But just that skill that they really held in check, I thought was tremendous. Uh, and that kept them in the game with the amount of offensive mistakes, not mistakes, but miss executions that they, they they couldn't execute well and there was a lot of penalties on offense mm-hmm. that uh, yeah. forced so, them to turn the ball over to get into the specific numbers um just in terms of how limiting they were of indiana's offense because i don't 
think people necessarily realize like how good this actually was. Um, prior to this game, Indiana averaged over 312 receiving yards, second in the Big Ten. They had the most total passing yards of anyone in the conference at 1,561. Michael Penix Jr. led the Big Ten in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and completion, while uh, wide receiver Ty Freifogel sat up top of the conference in receiving yards, both total and per game. Um, and heading into the contest for Maryland, they had only kept an opponent under 200 yards through the air once this season against Minnesota. Um, and they held Indiana in this really, really good passing offense to just 115 passing yards. That was their least in a game all season. At halftime, the team had 37 passing yards. So regardless of how the offense performance, which, you know, we're not homers. We're going to be honest. It was, it was not good. It, it wasn't. Um, and they struggled with penalties a lot. But this pass defense really impressed. This is a really good team, one of the best passing teams. And they held them to 115 passing yards, 37 in the first half. And then you look at a guy um, like Ty Freifogel. He entered Saturday with at least 200 yards in each of his last two games. And he finished with 10 yards on two receptions. That's it. Watt Fillier finished with 24 yards and two receptions, and he missed seven targets. Um, and those are season lows for both those guys by far. And Niver had a reception until the first few minutes of the third quarter. Yeah, they really, they really shut them down. And I think that kind of shows the development that Maryland's had on defense, um, at least stopping the pass. And they've been able to do a great job of that this year. And they're and, horrific at that last year. Yeah. And they had a sixth-round pick in their, in their secondary last year. Um, so I think that's crazy, having an NFL guy go to the league there, bunch of guys off your, uh, off your defense leave and get, go sign undrafted as well. Um, and then this year you have freshmen and sophomores and some new guys stepping up. And it's really – I think it's special to see this development so far from Loxley's defense. Um, and it's what killed them in the first game against Northwestern was the run. Uh, Northwestern's run game killed them as well as for Minnesota and Penn state's offense was just abysmal the entire game overall. So, and, and Maryland, did allow, like, Maryland had seven sacks in that game. What? Maryland had like seven sacks in that game, I think. Yeah, but they did still allow like Clifford, like over 300 passing yards, which, doesn't really seem real having watched the game, but I guess maybe late they just allowed a lot. Um, I'm sure most of that. And was they never, the yeah, and they never like were able to make good of it in the end zone. Um, so I, I just think this defense is, is something to look forward to for the future, especially with bringing in three, four star defensive linemen next year. Um, that, that, that to me is what's going to change in like, three two or three years or may, maybe even I don't know maybe next year if these if the freshmen are able to make an impact then um, but at least two years from now I think their defense might be on its way to one of the best in the conference and I know that might sound crazy to say but it, it, it's true I mean it without your basically arguably your two best secondary players definitely your best in Nick Cross and you don't have AC still those are both NFL guys yeah, and Ace Ely as well, having a good season at linebacker. Uh, I think they, without those three guys, the performance that they had on defense stopping the pass was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, and I, I've told you this for a while. Like, I even think next year we're going to be good. I think this is a team that has the ability to really be competitive in the Big Ten next, either next year or the year after with – the defensive talent they had and they're bringing in um, with Leah getting more comfortable in the system and, and the wide receiver core he had. I don't see Jayshon Jones going to the NFL after this year, maybe Dante Demas, but I think with the lack of games, that is less of a possibility just because there's still going to be very much uncertainty with this year's draft. And I think it's a smarter move to stay. Um, you're going to have, so basically like you could have your three best wide receivers coming back and you've got more guys developing. You get Chiga Conquo back. Um, who I completely think will be in the NFL. Um, he's a really, really talented tight end. Um, 
And, you know, you'll have continued development from your offensive linemen um, who are all pretty young. And so I really think, I think a lot of Maryland people who've been around the program, not in the program, but around the program or covering tend to be skeptical, but knowing the pieces of his program, knowing who Loxley is as a person and a coach, um, I really think that this program has the ability to be special within the next couple years. You know, like this is going to be a rough year. Just look at the circumstances, but look how they performed under both circumstances. And I think that says a lot. This, this will be a good team within the next few years. There's not, and they're going to shock a lot of people, but if you look at the talent and how it's going to develop, yes, Leah has been hot and cold, um, but you have to kind of consider um, shaking off the rust. You have to consider having his two best offensive linemen out and things like that. He wasn't making the best decisions. They were really hurt by penalties um, that weren't necessarily his fault, things like that. Um, obviously, like those interceptions were bad, um, but I do think he is a special player um, despite that performance, and I think he's just going to continue to develop and get better. Like This is his first year. It's a very not normal year to start. Um, with that wide receiver talent, like I said, your best tight end coming back, um, the defensive talent developing, you know, it's going to depend on how long some of these guys stay, because I think there's a lot of NFL talent on this team. I mean, for you right now, who stands out as NFL talent? Overall, I think Togo Bailo at quarterback, Dante Demas at wide receiver, uh, Rakim Jarrett at wide receiver, maybe Jay Sean Jones, but he's had a lot of injuries and I believe he's out with COVID. Now. That was his first injury. His ACL was his first. Well, he, he had one in high school also. Um, he didn't have ACL though. Yeah. I mean, I just said injuries in general. Yeah. Um, and then who else on offense? I don't know. I think Chiggis. I really do. Defensively, Nick Cross, Tarheeb still, maybe Chance Campbell gets a shot based on the I don't think he has the size. He might get a shot with the, the year he's having now. Who I'm knows? just saying, look at a guy like Trey Watson. He had an even better year and just got ruled out for his size. Still upsets me. Um, maybe even Ace? Ruben Hippolyte. Oh, Ru- no. Ruben Hippolyte, yes. He's only he, a freshman. He's, he's performed really he, well he right now. He might not have the size as well. Um, but that's, that's fair. He, he's a talented player, four-star. So. Yeah, and we're, we're saying this is going to take time. We're not well. saying – these guys are like in an NFL right away. Like they're going to take time. But I think, I think Jayshon Jones, like if he has another year, I think he could. Um, but yeah, I think the other two are more of a lock. Um, but we'll I, think, I think there's talent. There's a lot of NFL talent on this team. And I think Loxley knows how to develop it. Even on special teams with Anthony Pecorella and Colton Spangler, like those punters are so good. Every Anthony game. Pecorella has been so good this year. They're punting with inside the five yard line, no matter where they are pretty much or inside the 20 at the, at the least. And that puts teams on their offensive drives deep in their own territory. And that helps the defense come through for a stop. And that very underrated aspect of his team, very underrated aspect that's not talked about. Extremely underrated. And both those guys have been phenomenal so far this year. So maybe they get a shot. I don't know how it works with. Yeah. I don't know how it works with special teams. We'll have to ask Nick Novak. (laughs) Um, But they they also might depending on if they keep this up for the rest of the the season if they're able to play Rutgers uh, and then next year and maybe the year after as well. Yeah, and I'm interested to see who they get matched up with in this championship game because now we're uh, quickly approaching that. Um, because there's been so many cancellations, it seems like everything is up in the air of Champions Week. You know, there's a lot of debate right now of. I think initially they said you would play like six games or five games. I don't know if they're lowering it, but it seems like they're going to have to with all these cancellations. Um, And so we'll see what happens with champions week. But right now, you know, you would have the big 10 championship and uh, then you would have um, the matchups between each of the conferences uh, of the Western and the Eastern. So right now looking at Maryland, um, Maryland is currently, pulling this up right now just to be sure I'm right so Maryland right now if you're looking the Big Ten East they're still in uh in third place like they still have stayed in third place despite losing two games 
to the schedule and then losing a game, which is pretty impressive. So right now they would face uh, Wisconsin. That, that would be a tough game. Uh, Cause I guess Iowa now because Wisconsin has lost so many games is in second place. So Wisconsin would definitely be a tough game, but that would be a really fun game to watch, I think. And then Minnesota is in fourth place. Um, so you have Wisconsin at two and one and Minnesota at two and three. You've three teams in the West at two and three. Uh, you've got Minnesota, Purdue, and Illinois. And then Nebraska, who was pushing the most for a Big Ten season, in dead last. And before, before I talk about that, I also want to add that I think Isaiah Jacobs could be a pro as well um, with his brother, Josh Jacobs. On the Penny, Boone. Penny Boone. Penny Boone. Matt Hurdle. Both those guys, only just freshmen. Um, so we'll see how they pan out. But as far as the Big Ten championship game, as you said, so up in the air. We have no idea. Um, are, is that at a neutral site? Did they even announce that yet? Or is that at campus sites? I believe it's sites? all going to be in Indianapolis. But I, they haven't released How are they going to make that going to work? So, I have no idea how they'll make that work. But I don't know. Um, they haven't really released details on it. I mean, we know that the championship is always held in Indianapolis, but they haven't really released details on, like, where those championship week games are going to happen. So I think you'll – I think Maryland will beat Rutgers. So they'll be three and two. That'll leave you probably playing Wisconsin, I would have to guess. Uh, unless Iowa loses a game and Wisconsin wins their next two. Is Wisconsin back? Is, is Wisconsin facing more cancellations? Are they back? Are they? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know anything anymore with these cancellations. It's so hard to keep up with. Matt and I have been trying to keep up so much on like Twitter and like fall, like I've been following all these different beat reports for different teams that like I've never followed before. Cause like it's in the big 10 West or it's just like something that wouldn't normally affect Maryland. Cause you normally don't have these cancellations. And it's just like a season where you have to have your notifications on to follow any cancellations, to follow any other teams and what their COVID situation is. It's just, it's a crazy year. Yeah, there's really no other word for it than crazy. And it's every day. But, uh, yeah, should we, should we get into basketball now? or? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, Maryland men's basketball, off to a 3-0 and start. Uh, they handled their first two games pretty well against Mount St. Mary's in their third game. They handled the first first half pretty well, at least towards the end of the first half. Second half, they get a 10-point lead, blow it somehow. Uh, they ended up going down by two. And then after that, just an absurd run, a 21 to nothing run. They ended the game on a 23-3 to run. Um, and the offensive burst there was one of the most special sequences I've seen for Maryland's offense in a while in terms of large runs. Um, and let's think about what – let's think about who this team is, though, right? Let's, it doesn't matter to me who the team it is. It does, though. This is a team if, that – If you're trailing by two, it doesn't matter who it is, and you're able to turn a 21 nothing run in right after that, that shows the resiliency. It doesn't matter who it is. This is the 256th team in the country. I don't, I don't think that says much. College basketball, know. especially last year and this year, has shown it doesn't matter who you're playing. It really it doesn't. Does if, eh. Richmond just beat Kentucky. Obviously, Richmond's a tournament team, but still. <laughs> yeah, that's a tournament team. Yeah, but it's Kentucky. This team is 256 in the country. I just still saying. think uh, – when's the last time they had a, a large run like that? It's been a long last time. Last year. They had so many comebacks last year. What not 21 about? to nothing. They had some big runs last year. Maybe yeah, not 21 and nothing. They came back from being down like runs. 14 or 17 at halftime, but they didn't do that in one sequence. It wasn't a 17 nothing run. That, they did fair. that throughout the entire second half. This was in this was in five minutes, I think. And it was a 21 to well, zero run. I'll credit for that. I just think when we're talking about this, you have to consider the opponent, and that's why I don't think you can say it's like one of their best offensive runs we've seen. I still think it is, and they won by 18. So. I mean, really, if you're looking at that, like... I'm just saying that's a team you should be by 40 points. Easily. The spread wasn't that high. The spread's never that high. The spread, the spread always, you're like... You're not supposed to beat a team, like, 40 points. When's the last time they beat a team by 40 points? Last offseason. I mean, last, last non-conference season. Who? I mean, I'll look right now. I know they beat Navy this year by 30. They beat Oakland by 30. 
Okay, maybe I'm thinking like 30, but still. 40 points is a lot of points. I meant 30, okay? 40 points is a lot, but like, you should be that team by 30, not not 18, in my opinion. But it, it was impressive how it came back, but like, I was talking about this um, on a podcast or video with a leaf cream the other day. Like, there's no way to say whether this team, like, is good at this point, given the opponents they faced. You I like th- that there's depth right now. That's something we haven't seen. Um, you only had two games last year where Jalen Smith or Anthony Cowan Jr. wasn't the leading scorer. And you've had uh, four double-digit double scores in every single game so far. Um, and five in this last game. And then you kind of see that trio established of, which we kind of expected, right? Of Aaron Wiggins, Darren Morsell, and Eric Ayala. They've had double digits in all three games. And then you've seen guys like Dante Scott, Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, Jarius Hamilton, Galen Smith, each have double digits in a game. Dante had them in both, both of which were career highs. Um, so that's good to see. Um, I guess I'll get your thoughts on that before I get into some other things that are on my mind. My thoughts on the depth scoring? Yeah. Well, I think it's obviously there's no relying on Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith anymore. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing to rely on them. I think that was good for that team where you didn't have to have Aaron Wiggins trying to score or Eric Ayala trying to score, things like that. And I think even more so now Ayala doesn't necessarily need to score. There's a lot of guys that can score on this team where he could just have the ball in his hands and, and pass more. Uh, but he's shown that he's been able to get to the bucket. He's been able to shoot really well so far. He's shooting like 70% from the field. Uh, he's averaging, some, I think, around 15 or 16 points per game. And just I think the development of him – I think the development of him has been impressive and more sell the most to me uh, offensively. And then, obviously, I knew what Wiggins was going to do. Um, he started off slow in a couple games, but he's picked it up. He's put together some of his own runs. He had an eight-nothing run against Navy, and like I just I think I think Aaron Wiggins is a pro, and he has the pro size and everything like that. He's just got to be more consistent in shooting. And I talked about it before the season started, and I'm I don't know if I still think it so far. Again, it's too early to tell, but I thought that their offense was going to go if Wiggins goes. And now I'm starting to think that they don't really need Wiggins to score too much. I think as far as shooting goes, if they're going to shoot the ball well, Wiggins is likely going to be shooting well from deep. But as far as scoring goes, I think anybody can score. As far as the seven guys or so you mentioned, the trio of Ayala, Wiggins, and Morsell, they can all score. They've shown that so far. They've shown that throughout their careers too. And Dante Scott has been so impressive. Uh, and I loved his development last year as a freshman. Just from the first half to the second half of the season, he was a new player. Uh, and towards the end of the year, he was a big reason why they won the Big Ten title. He was a huge reason why, just a freshman. I think he has a chance to be an all-Big Ten player eventually. Um, and Jerry's Hamilton as well. In three games as a Terp, the most impressive one was against Mount St. Mary's. His body is just it's insane. He's 6'8", 235 pounds, and he's a big kid. And he's shooting the ball from deep. He's He looked a little bit off shooting from the mid-range. Is Hamilton? Games. Yeah. No, he shot horribly in the first two games. Horribly. That's what I said. He looked a little bit off shooting from mid-range. He was uh, like one for seven. Leaving it short a little bit. But in the Mount St. Mary's game, he was absurd. And he had a couple threes. He had some great moves down low fooling defenders, uh, and he's using that size. And I think if he gets going early on in his Maryland career, just three games in, it's going to be a fight to see who starts, him or Dante Scott at the four. I think starting both of them could be beneficial to this team. And the five that were on the floor when they had the 21 nothing run was the big three of Ayala, Wiggins, Morsell, Dante Scott, and Jarius Hamilton. And... That's not really going to work in Big Ten play against Iowa and Illinois, maybe even Wisconsin. But eh, Wisconsin doesn't really have a, a huge player the way Garza and Coburn. 
Yeah, but he's a stretch player. He shoots more that's than true. that's true. He's not he's not a guy that's gonna pound you down low and you need Jalen Smith to come in there, but that that's where I'm interested to see how Galen Smith performs. And he has that SEC experience, but the Big Ten has these huge guys. Oh yeah, and, Hunter Dixon too. Yeah, and Garza, Garza Maryland should have gone after more. Garza is the best player in the country, no question. And he had like thirty. How much points did he have in that one game? Like forty something. Thirty-four in the first half, I think it was somewhere around that. He missed like two shots or something. I don't know, something crazy. But grinding and pounding down low against those guys are going to be hard. So that's why I don't know what the lineup is going to look like when you play a team like that. But when you're playing, even Mount St. Mary's, they had height. They had two six-nine forwards, and. Maryland's front court was a lot smaller, not a lot smaller, but you had Jerry's Hamilton 6'8, Dante Scott 6'7. So you had smaller guys in those late runs of that game, and it worked out well. But I'm again, it's not going to work against Garza and Coburn. So I'm interested to see how they roll out towards the end of the year against these Big Ten opponents. But as far as the small ball lineup, I think that's going to be where they score the most. Uh, in a, if they're playing a balanced team as far as height goes and you don't have to face Garza or Coburn, you're going up against, I don't know, Penn State or Northwestern, a more balanced-sized team, you could probably roll out that small ball lineup and score a lot of points with that. And you don't necessarily need Galen Smith down low for the size or tr- even Shoal Mario down well, low. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about Shoal. Um, I think there's something so special about a guy that is 7'2 and really is able to shoot the three and did sort of very high level um, in high school. I wrote an article this past week about his work. Um, maybe it was the week before. Time is weird right now. Um, about his work with his trainer this summer. He really put a lot of work in to improve his movement um, and kind of just keep rehabbing and um, he got his first collegiate start against uh, against Mount St. Mary's, and he didn't look great. Um, his timing seemed very off, and I think it's going to take time for him to develop. But I think once he gets further along in this year, um, he can be a special player. I think next year he's going to be a really special player. Like it's with a guy who's been injured for three years, it's going to take time. But I think he has the ability to be a really special player down the line, and if he can even develop a little bit more this year having him on the floor as a guy that is big down low and can shoot would be huge. But obviously you're not going to do that against a team. Like we said, like Iowa or Illinois. Well, he, he's just, I, I, I don't know. I was very critical. I don't know either. It's, it's, it's hard to know. It's so hard to know if a guy like that, but I, I think he critical. will continue to improve. Not that I know anything about basketball, but I was very critical of him. Uh, and, the, and the thing I noticed between him and – What do you mean you don't know anything about basketball? Oh, That's not I'm, true. I'm kidding, but I'm also not kidding because who am I to criticize a guy like that? Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not the right person to do that. So take this with a grain of salt. But I think the difference between him and Galen Smith so far is obviously the experience and then the timing down low of if a defender is going to pump fake, Shoal is jumping in the air every time. And that's how you get beat. If you leave your feet, you're either going to give up a foul or you're giving up a bucket every single time. And Galen Smith did a great job of just holding his footing and keeping his hands up and not fouling, not jumping, and that forces missed shots. So just a little adjustment like that of Marial to stay put on his feet. And he has a seven-foot-eight wingspan. If he reached up, nobody's shooting over you pretty much. I heard it was like 7'10 or 7'11 at one point. I've heard different numbers thrown around. Might be more. I don't know. I've heard seven, eight, but um, even so then, if it's more than that, just keep your feet set. Don't jump. You're not going to give yourself up that way. And nobody's getting by you if you're that big. Obviously, that could be easily improved. That's the thing. It's like I'm, I'm saying, saying it's gonna take time. that is a tiny adjustment that can be made. And I don't know how he was running up and down the floor a lot better. I'll say that he was running up and down the floor a yeah, lot better. He runs like a gazelle. It's crazy. Takes like three steps down the court. That's what I'm saying is like you can see the improvement in his movement, and he has had a decent amount of points in games. Um, and so I think, like you said, if you fix those little things, 
I think he just needs to continue to get more comfortable, right? Like practice experience is different than game experience. And and I think by the time you get to like late January, February, he could be a good player. Next year, I think he's the ability to be a really special player. Do you think he has the ability to go to the league with the size? 100%. 100%. There's one guy in the NBA right now that is uh, 7'2 and can shoot, and you have a Knicks thing in the background. He left you guys because you're the Knicks. Uh, <laughs> just saying. Kristaps uh, Porzingis is the only other guy who is at least 7'2 in the NBA and can shoot it from deep. Just saying. Yeah, and he was the fourth overall pick, I think. Fifth, I don't know. Fourth. fourth I mean, the, the thing is, like, when it comes to his potential NBA career, the thing that's going to hurt him is the injury history. A lot of teams are going to be worried because of that. Um, but I think down the line, he's the potential to be special. I mean, with that size, you can't give up on it right away. Like, yeah. nobody's counting him the out. The size and the shooting ability, that's so rare. So we'll see how that we'll see how he develops. I think that's the biggest thing for Maryland is his development the rest of the season. And if he can if he can be able to even compete slightly with the likes of the rest of the Big Ten big men, I think Maryland might have a really good shot to compete and be better than expected. Uh obviously I don't see him finishing like Higher than fourth, though. Well, no, no, no. They were they were projected to finish like tenth. I'm saying towards the 11th. middle, not below the, the not below the pack. I think Maryland finishes in the middle. Um, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. They're they're, they're we'll see. it's so early. There's no. I'm gonna say like yes, maybe. How many? I'm gonna say maybe. It's so early in the season. I don't know. How many teams have special players like Wiggins, Ayala, and Morsell? A lot. In the Big Ten, a lot. I don't know. That's the thing. Wisconsin, yes. There's a lot, Matt. I, I don't think Michigan plays as a team as well as many think. Personally, that's my opinion. Um, Illinois has it. Iowa has it. So that's three. Michigan State is always going to have it because Michigan of the coach. Michigan State is, is good. I don't think they have the talent. I do not. I will die on this hill. Rocket Watts is not good. I don't know why he's being overhyped. He shot like 30% from the floor. He has not been good. I'm not going to rant about that, but he is overrated. But Tom Izzo is a great coach. Um, who else do we have? Um, Northwestern's going to suck. And I've heard that from my friend who covers the team who we have in the podcast, Andrew Golden. He doesn't think they're going to win a single game in conference play. Um, I don't know. I, I think that middle of the pack is going to be interesting. I think it could go a lot of ways. So another big man or small forward, power forward, six foot eight recruit, four star James Graham uh, had a big announcement over the past. Call. I think it was Friday now. I don't even know. As you said, Lila, the days just all mixed together. But he announced that he's going to enroll early to Maryland, graduate high school early, forgo his senior season, and well, it was already canceled. But yeah, yeah, but he'll come <laughs> to Maryland around Christmas time, I believe and be immediately eligible for the Terps this season. So that's huge news come Big Ten play. If they can get Graham in the weight room, get him acclimated early and developed early, uh, he can potentially be a piece that Maryland relies on in the front court. Yeah, and they told me he doesn't lose any eligibility with this because of the rules this year, but everyone gets an extra year of eligibility. Um, And so, like, I think he's going to be really good next year because he's getting this experience, and we'll see how he does this year. You know, he'll – I've been told that he'll come in at the end of the fall semester, which is mid-December, and then he will play once the second semester starts, I believe. So, like, mid-January-ish or after the holidays. It's kind of unclear. Um, But, like, he needs to get acclimated first, but maybe – Later in the season, he could have a bit of an impact. But, like, this isn't a guy that's going to start games or, like, play, like, a huge amount of minutes anyway, at least to start. And it's good to get him here early, especially with the talent that next year's class already has, with him being one of three four-stars. Just to get one here earlier and developed earlier and acclimated earlier, I think that that makes everything go faster, the process of getting these freshmen to play. Like, next year – We'll see how how much he plays this year, but even next season, will we consider him to be a a freshman? Like, yes, but at the same time, he's further along in the process. You know, 
Yeah. It's so, good for his team. It, yeah. it is. It, it's, it's good, and it's, it's – and if they can rely on him, he, he's, he might even produce right away. I don't personally think he will have a huge role just because he's going to be young and they're going to want him to get stronger and acclimated and everything else. But come early next year, he's going to be making impacts right away. Um, and I'm excited also to see Julian Reese come in next year. He's been absolutely going off in all these games that he's been playing. And that is a good kind of segue into Maryland women's basketball, who I think is going to have a better season than all of these teams by far and could walk away as national champions. Women's basketball has been uh, really impressive. Yes, they lost that game to Mississippi State. Missouri, uh, had, Missouri State. What? They lost to Missouri State. Yes, Missouri State. They lost that game to Missouri State. Um, and before that, they had a win against Davidson, which, while not ranked, is a good team. Um, and then they come back after this loss to Missouri State, which was close late. And they absolutely dominate number 14, Arkansas. They had the most points in program history against a ranked opponent, most points scored against uh, Arkansas ever in school history, um, set a record for the Gulf Coast Showcase Beach Bubble Tournament. Um, they were dominant. And it, it's everybody. It's everybody this year. Uh, and there was so much relying on Kyla Charles last year, who was one of the best players ever to come out of Maryland. You had Stephanie Jones, Blair Watson. We talk about all these players that are gone. And I'm shocked by how much of an impact the transfers into the program have made early on. Uh, yeah, I did not like, expect that. Like, I, did, I didn't expect uh, Katie Benzan, just given how short she is. She's like 5'6". I didn't expect her to have that big of an impact. And Chloe Bibby had a really good game last game. Um, I definitely did not expect it. And – that's the crazy part that we talked about this for a long time on the preseason uh, women's basketball preview podcast. But I said how Brenda Freeze loses talent and just replenishes it right away. And the funny thing to me is that Taylor Mike transferred to Oregon, uh, had a career high 28 <laughs> points. I know Wes tweeted this. Yeah. 28 points on eight threes, which was, I don't know if that was, that was definitely her career high. I don't know if that was an Oregon record. I'm not sure, but she absolutely balled out in her debut with the Ducks. Now, I think it was the day after Maryland plays Arkansas, and Katie Benzin, an incoming transfer now for Maryland, who's been their best player so far this year. No, I would say Angel Reese has, but sure. Yeah, it could be argued. She's their leading scorer. Uh, yeah, and we'll get into that. Katie Benzin drops 28 points on eight threes as well. Um, and I was looking at it as I prepare for my next three broadcasts um, for women's basketball, their next three home games. And I didn't realize how good Katie Benson actually was at Harvard. She has a lot of records there. First team, all uh, Ivy league in all three years that she played there a lot. She's a three point shooter. Pure three she's she's shooter. shooting 50% from beyond the arc right now. It's just so impressive. 13 for 26 for three games. It's so impressive how she can come against – or not against Big Ten opponents yet, but just come into a Big Ten program and impact right away. And she didn't play last year either. She is – and you said it, she's only 5'6". She's a special player. And I'm excited to see the rest of the season and how she goes up against Big Ten teams. Yeah. So, I mean, just looking at this team, right, she's averaging through three games, 19 points a game. Angel Reese is uh, averaging 17. Diamond Miller, who has taken a huge leap, is averaging 14.3. Ashley Awuso, Awusu with 12. Chloe Bibby with 11.3. And they've all had different games when they've gone off. Um, you have Angel Reese averaging the most rebounds on a team. She's averaging 8.7 rebounds. To average uh, 17 points and 8.7 re rebounds in your first three college game, games is pretty insane um already six blocks as well which is like two per game uh and she's shooting uh 56.3 percent from the floor i mean this is just an impressive team 
so far. Um, it's a lot to be excited about. I really like the leap that I'm seeing from Diamond Miller, especially. And going back to Benzin for a second, uh, she's 20th on Harvard's all-time scoring list, and she did that in just three years. And she made she has the record for 287 three-pointers made in three years. Uh, and she owns top three single-season records for most threes in a season. She did that all three seasons of her career at Harvard. So she's just an absolute shooter, wearing number 11, the same number that Taylor Mikesell wore, who's also an absolute shooter. I think this is just a crazy resemblance almost of how talented they are as shooters. And you mentioned the jump that Diamond Miller has made. She scored a career-high 20 points in the season opener. Um, she's been playing the most minutes she had. She started Rebounding all a lot better. Rebounding. Too. I've always said she's a great defender. She's 6'3", very long arms, and she's quick, very fast player. And she's always been a great defender. But to see her starting to score more, she was a raw scorer, I would say, a raw shooter, I guess is the right term. Uh, last year as a freshman um, and now you've really seen her take this jump and she's really been scoring a lot better rebounding a lot more uh, she's still she has three steals in three games she has a block as well I think her defense is among the best on the team uh, and now she's scoring she's averaging 14.3 you said and shooting 50 percent from the field so just the ability to score in a more efficient way than last year is what's impressive to me. Uh, I mean, she's averaging nearly 26 minutes per game out of 40 minutes a game. She's going to be a really important factor to this team if it's going to make a run deep. Uh, and she has the experience from her own, her own family. Uh, during my prep, I saw that her dad played at Villanova, played overseas professionally. Her sister played at Ohio State and LaSalle, and then her other sister plays at Wagner right now. Um, so she had a lot had, of Terrapin signal, uh, siblings at Wagner. Yeah. Anthony Cowan's sister as well. Um, but yeah, so just so much experience through her family and I'm sure that has to do with the jump she's made so far, obviously only three games as well. So not too much sample size, but in that sample size, she's done a phenomenal teams. job. Yeah. And against two great teams. So, um, and I'll say like Maryland dropped two spots in the AP poll to number 14, obviously the Missouri state loss. But the way they responded, like this team has me even more confident than I was towards the beginning of the season because we didn't know what we were going to get from Chloe Bibby. We didn't know what we were going to get from Katie Benson. And if you just look at that particular game, the two transfers led the team in scoring in the best win of the season. So you had Katie, like we said, 28 points, um, 8-3. She shot 8-14 from deep, which is insane. Um, in 29 minutes, you had Chloe Bibby with a double-double of 23 and 12. Um, she also had two steals. She shot five for seven from three, six for nine from the floor, and played the most minutes at 37. Diamond Miller had another double-double with 19 points and 10 rebounds. Angel Reese and Ashley Owusu both almost had double-doubles. Ashley um, had 12 points and nine rebounds and seven assists. So she really almost had a triple-double. Um, Angel Reese had 16 points, eight rebounds, um, two assists, a block, a steal. This team looks very good right now. And you look at all the different games, and they have different people um, leading and, and stepping up. And they're a deep team. They've shown that. They've shown that, like, yes, we lost some of our best players. We lost these seniors. But, like, we have a deep team. Um, you look at that first game, and you had Diamond Miller and Angel Reese both with 20 points. Angel Reese nearly had a double-double in that game as well. She's nearly had one in every single game. In that game, she had 20 rebounds – or, sorry, nine rebounds, 20 points, uh, two blocks and a steal, shot seven for 10 from the floor. Um, Diamond Miller, 20 points, five rebounds, two steals, shot six for 10 from the floor. Um, and then you had Katie Benzin, Ashley Wusu, and Faith in double digits as well. Um, and Chloe Bibby had nine points and nine rebounds. I mean, and then you even have someone like Mimi Collins with seven points and six rebounds. You know, this has the possibility to be a really good team. Yeah, it's crazy when you talk about this depth, how deep it really is, um, how each player can produce so well early on. And um, one of their 
one of Dylan's key takeaways in his article uh, from the weekend was that depth scoring won't be an issue for this team, and it really won't. They had at least four players reach double figures in scoring in each of the three games so far. Four players in double figures. That's crazy. That, and they're shooting efficiently. The 50% from the field, more than 50% from three for certain players. It's, it's really impressive. And I, I, I doubted this team, to be honest with you, before the season. I really had no idea what to expect with the amount of new players and the role that Ashley Owusu was going to have to take on and Diamond Miller as well and how Angel Reese would come in and just go. I didn't think she'd go off right away. And she is. And I was wrong. And I, I'm kind of happy that I'm wrong because I like to cover I had a feeling. I had a feeling she was going to go off. This is crazy. So, I mean, this is a special team. And, again, it's a team that Brenda Freeze can take, I think, deep into the tournament. And I say that every year. But she can. And she's a great coach. And I think – I mean, I know I'm excited to see what's in store the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm excited to see that as well. We'll wrap up with that. Make sure you guys catch Matt on the Towson broadcast. Towson, Coppin State, and Mount St. Mary's. All yeah, so make sure you follow along. Hopefully he won't continue to be a jinx with game cancellations. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, issue so far. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to follow all of our coverage at testuatimes.com.